So welcome to our new series this morning. Our series is called Encounter. We have just launched with this name, Zeo. Zeo is a word from the Bible that means passion. And one of the things that we are most passionate about is Jesus. And I'm so aware that for many people out there in the normal world on their Sunday mornings, they have no idea who that is or why we get so excited about it. Maybe it's something they heard like at RS class in school a bit about Jesus. But why are we so passionate about this Jesus? What is it about this man that has transformed so many of our lives when we've had an encounter with him? I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I had an encounter with Jesus when I was about 14 and it changed the rest of my life. Why? So this series is about looking at this Jesus. Who was he? What can we learn from the people of the Bible who had encounters with him when he was here in flesh on this earth? And how can we still experience that life-changing encounter with him today? And this morning's session is called Healed. And what we're going to do is look at an encounter with Jesus that happened. The story is told in Mark's Gospel. It's one of the first books of the New Testament that tells the story of what happened when Jesus was on the earth. If you have a Bible, grab it now. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 right at the beginning. It will be on screen as well. So I'm going to kick off just by reading the passage. So do follow along with me. So Mark 2, starting right at the beginning, it says... A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered down the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So this is um, one of those stories, really, that you've probably heard told quite a lot. It is one of those classic stories of Jesus. Those of us who've got kids or have had to read bedtime stories to children, you know, it's it's in the books, isn't it? It's one of the classic stories about Jesus, the classic encounters with Jesus that we hear about. We know the deal, guy digs through the roof, um, Jesus heals him, kind of end of story. But... What does it tell us about Jesus? Why did Mark include this one in so much detail? If you look at the chapter before this, Mark talks about some of the things that Jesus was doing as he was traveling around and encountering people. And and he makes a sort of throwaway comment about Jesus healing loads of people. So why is this one told in so much detail? And I want to suggest to you that There is something in particular that Mark wants us to get to understand about what happened in this encounter with Jesus. 
something that's really important. And I think that it's hidden in the Greek language that Mark uses when he tells the story because he didn't write this stuff in English. Greek is a much more complex language and it's difficult to translate it into English. So I want to talk to you about the language that he uses. And and on three things in what he focuses on that I think he wants us to know, this is why he told this story in so much detail. These are things that happen when we encounter Jesus. And I think that there's something particularly this morning that God wants to say to some of us here today. Because the amazing things about these stories is that they're generally significant. They tell us general truths, but also that in this space today, God wants to speak to some of us individually. He has something that he wants to tell us. So the first thing that I think Mark wants us to know from this story about what happens when we encounter Jesus is that we are noticed. What we have here is some pretty desperate guys who need to get their friend to Jesus. They need him to notice them. Being noticed is such a thing in our society, isn't it? Isn't it a cry from the heart? We, um, we asked our teenagers to, to share with them some of their dreams last week. They're, they're not here, so I can talk about them. Shh, don't tell them. I'm not going to actually share any of their individual dreams, don't worry. But it was poignant how many of them, what they were dreaming for was to be noticed. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to be amazing dancers. They wanted to be singers. Our culture tells us that it is so important that you are noticed. But also what our culture does is it only celebrates extremes. The high achievers, the celebrities, the brilliant ones, the one in a million What happens if you're just one of the 999,999? Now, in this story, there were some ordinary people who were desperate to get their friend noticed. This guy had been unwell. We know that he's paralyzed. We don't know his full diagnosis. I'm a medic by background, so, you know, I'm instantly, you know, diagnosing what's going on. We don't know, but we know he was paralyzed. We know that in that time, there was almost no medical help for these types of conditions. We know that his outlook would have been bleak. And his friends are clearly desperate to get him to Jesus. Times have obviously been hard. Maybe they'd heard the stories or even seen Jesus healing so many people. And they're so desperate to get him there that when they turn up and the place is absolutely packed... So last week we were pretty packed in here, weren't you? But this is even more packed. Imagine that there's people just streaming out of the doors and and they can't find any space for anyone and they turn up at the door and think, oh man, we can't get in, but we've got to get this guy to Jesus. So they resort to desperate tactics. Imagine if in the middle of me talking now, suddenly we start to hear strange noises from the roof. This actually happened to a friend of mine once who is a teacher in a slightly rough area of Manchester that she was teaching her class and out of the corner of her eye she could see in the playground a chase going on from a student who might have been less keen to attend class and was trying to leave the school grounds and was literally being chased by some of the pastoral team of her school. So she's trying to teach and hoping no one else will notice and then she sees him climb up onto the roof of the school and she's like, oh, this is interesting. And then as she carries on teaching, the kid has obviously tried to run over the top of the flat roof of her ground floor classroom, and he actually came through the roof into her classroom. He was fine. He was unharmed. He did not join her class. But she did notice him. And what these guys do for their friend is they make absolutely sure that Jesus notices them. I love that. 
Don't you think if you turned up to a meeting late, and even if you do resort to desperate measures, you might drop him like at the back, maybe at a side. But no, they drop him right slap bang in front, just like the roof opens, down comes this guy. There is no chance that Jesus isn't going to notice him. And he does. He notices him. I mean, he can't fail to notice him, can he really? But he sees something else going on. And we know because he doesn't respond in any of the really obvious ways. So if, if I, honestly, if I was preaching and someone dropped someone down through the roof right now, there's many possible reactions you might see from me. Mild panic, alarm, signaling of another member of the leadership team to deal with it. Can you imagine how the other people felt? I mean, I don't know, maybe they queued for hours to get into that room. Some of them, you know, I I speak at a lot of big festivals, big conferences. People queue to get into the venue like an hour before it starts to get the front row seats. Yeah, were you guys here like an hour before? No, okay. (laughs) And then this guy drops right in the front. They're like, seriously, what are you doing? Wait your turn, get to the back. But he doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say, I'm actually a little busy here. Maybe we could discuss this later. Because he sees something else, not just the obvious, but he sees their faith, it says in verse 5. He sees something of why they're doing this. They're not just some kind of really dramatic attention seekers. They're doing this because they're full of faith. And I think he probably sees other things. He sees their love for their friend. He sees their passion. He sees their desire for something to change. We know from the word there that Mark uses when he says that Jesus sees their faith, that it's, it's saying that he sees something other than just the surface. Obvious, Jesus sees deeper. He looks at these guys and spots something underneath. We know, again, that he does this if you look at verses 6 to 8. Because, of course, the teachers of the law, and they're like, this is bang out of order, this. But if you look at the words, they don't actually say it. They are thinking to themselves... Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. And Jesus also doesn't say anything. He just knows in his spirit. So there's no actual words that have been exchanged here. It's like that thing you do as parents when, you know, you just look at it. Uh, 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 yeah. Somebody needs to deal with that. Go, I'm not doing it. We don't, you don't have to actually say anything, but you know. There's an exchange, a meeting of minds here because Jesus sees something deeper And it's really interesting the word that Mark uses here in this section when he says that he sees them about why. How does he look at us and see under the surface, see more than just what we're outwardly saying? And this word that's translated here, so it's right at the end when it says Jesus knew in his spirit, it's a compound word in Greek, so it combines two words, two meanings. And basically it means that he sees because he knows them. So incorporated in that word, there's a sense that he had relationship with these people so he understands what's going on. And it is, it's like the parental thing. We know, we know. We don't need to say everything, we just know. And this is the second thing that happens when we encounter Jesus, that we are not just noticed, but we become known. He gets to know us. This is the incredible thing that our encounter with Jesus isn't just a one-off, like a celebrity signing an autograph book. It's a relationship that begins in that moment where we become known. And not just the superficial us that we show to other people. He knows everything. He sees more. He sees the real us. He sees even the things that we might like to keep hidden. How many people know you like that? 
It's interesting though, isn't it? Because in our culture, again, that's actually quite a scary thought. If I said to you, right, good news this morning, uh, somebody is going to walk in now who when he looks at you will see everything that's in your mind, even the hidden things. Now, who wants to take them home for lunch? Any volunteers? Oh, I'm, I'm a bit busy, actually. But what's amazing is that when Jesus does that, people don't experience condemnation. They experience acceptance. They experience something else, something amazing. It's a great feeling. Some of you might remember the story in, elsewhere in the gospel where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. It's a woman who has had several husbands and she's currently living with a guy who isn't her husband. In those days, pretty scandalous. And Jesus just looks at her and he knows everything about her. And they have this great conversation. And at the end of it, she runs off to her friends and she doesn't say, oh my goodness, scary moment, hashtag awkward. He knew everything about me. What she says, of course, is come and meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. She's like, seriously, you have to meet this guy. It's amazing. So when we have an encounter with Jesus, we are noticed, but we are also known and we find an acceptance through that in an amazing way. And look what happens here. This is really the interesting thing about this story. Because as I say, when this guy is dropped into the room, Jesus doesn't do any of the things that we might expect him to do, that I would do in his circumstance. He also doesn't really do any of the things that the people would have expected. If you think about it, what he says actually doesn't really make any sense. So imagine the scene, he's in the middle of some amazing preach, guy drops from the ceiling, he just looks down and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Everybody's like, huh? What? What now? His, what? What, what is this even doing? No, but this, for the friends who dropped him are like, well, thank you, actually, we were looking for a little more. We were looking for like a physical healing, that's very nice, but we wanted something more. We know the teachers of the law are like, are you kidding me? You can't say that. It's interesting, isn't it? And I just want to touch on three things to bear in mind when we're looking at what Jesus said and the reaction that there would have been from all those different people. And you might read accounts of this passage that say that when Jesus said that to the man, the reason he said it was because this guy's illness had its root in sin. So he's ill because he'd done something wrong and this is like a judgment Upon him. And, and I want to say, happy to debate this afterwards, but I don't think that that's what Jesus was doing. Because it doesn't actually make sense in the context as we carry on reading. You'll understand more as I carry on there. But it's like when he says it, the guy wasn't healed in the moment. So forgiving his sins didn't immediately transform his physical situation. I think there was more going on. The second thing we've got to bear in mind is that this was before Jesus had gone to the cross. Now, I know that kind of sounds obvious because he was there. But so we have to remember that the people that he was speaking to there, many of them Jewish people, part of this amazing race of people who years and hundreds of years before had been called to set themselves apart from other nations to represent something amazing about the glory of God, that God lived with them to set an example by living differently to the other nations that were around, that God had given them this list of laws and regulations and things that they had to live by in order to to try and get themselves to be holy enough for this amazing privilege of the living God living amongst them. 
So the Jewish people at that time were used to a system that, that they lived by, a bunch of laws, rules and regulations. This is what you have to do. Go and read Leviticus after today. You'll see just how many there are. And we also know that the teachers of the law had added new ones to ever increase this gap between the normal people and the teachers who like to sort of raise themselves up above them. So they were used to a system whereby if you want to be holy, if you want to be accepted by God, you follow the rules. There is no other system. That's why the Pharisees and the teachers are so cross. Jesus starts forgiving sins. It's just like, that doesn't even make sense. It just doesn't work like that. You can't do that. I mean, God could do it, but it's just that's not the way it works. They are, they're incensed by what he's doing. And number three there is, I said to you that you'll read people now who say that he was saying to the man that his illness was because of sin. The truth is that everyone at that time would have thought that because that was the teaching of that era. It was you have all these rules and regulations and that if you fall ill and you suffer in your lifetime, it is a judgment to you for something that you have done wrong. The, the word when Jesus says, your, sons, your son, your sins are forgiven, the word for sin there literally means missing the mark. If you fall short, if you don't manage to live to all these laws, you could experience judgment. And that's what they think has happened to this guy. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because this sense that this poor man, therefore, he has carried his whole life, not just his illness and the suffering that goes with that, the physical pain and the physical limitations and the impact it's had on him and his family and everything about his life, but he's also had to carry the judgment of other people who have misunderstood why he's ill in the first place, who have said, it's your fault, it's something about you. He's probably been ostracized. He's carrying guilt. He's probably sought his soul so many times to try and think, what did I do? How can I undo this? Maybe if I just try harder. Maybe if I just read the Holy Scriptures more. Maybe if I pray more, maybe something will change. But in his heart of hearts, it's his fault. That's what he's being told. And we still do this a little bit now. That's the terrible truth. We're so lucky our health system is so much better now. We understand so much more, but there are still diseases and illnesses that we don't understand. And I speak to people many, many times most weeks who are in this place where nobody knows how to help them. No one knows how to make this better. And almost all of those people will have had an experience at some point of someone saying, maybe this is you. Maybe you just work too hard. Maybe you're a bit of a hypochondriac. Maybe you're depressed, something like that. When medical knowledge fails us, we are often very quick to blame the person who's suffering. And there are amazing stories in our medical history of disease processes, like stomach ulcers is a classic one, where we used to think it was caused by the person. We would tell people they were too stressed. We would try and get them to relax. And then it turned out it was a bacterial infection. And in fact, the guy who found that had to infect himself to prove that that was the case. Because so rigid was the medical world at that time, they would not believe that it wasn't the fault of the people who were ill. So it's interesting, isn't it, how this still happens now. And, and I kind of love the fact that when Jesus sees this guy who suffered for so long, his immediate response is to see, again, something deeper, not just the physical suffering that's so obvious, but he looks at this guy, and in that moment, he understands something else. Again, that word when he says, your sins are forgiven, 
that can mean you miss the mark. That same word is used in Greek literature. It would have been a widely used word at the time. And in Greek plays, it means the fatal flaw of the character in question. It's the fatal flaw that usually by the end of the play has led to disaster. So I love that what he's looking at this guy saying, mate, your fatal flaws are forgiven. You're free from them. The word forgiven literally means you're released from them. They're letting you go. Like he was captured by them, but now he's free. He looks at this guy and and he knows something else about what this guy is suffering with. Not just the physical stuff, something else. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the story says that um, Jesus says to the teachers of the law, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? You can see it in verses 8 to 11 here up on the screen. And I want to say to you, which is easier? It's an interesting question. Because like most people, we think, blimey, physical healing, that's pretty tricky. That is definitely the hardest thing in this chapter. But Jesus was God. Physical healing is like he has full power and authority over this guy's body. He could heal him just like that. He does in a minute. Which was easier, for him to do that or for him to look at this man and see the pain and the emotional things that this guy is carrying, to understand what's going on in his mind and to somehow free him from that stuff. Because we hold things, don't we, as human beings? Stuff from our past, stuff that people have said to us, things that we know about ourselves, those fatal flaws. Ah, I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I hadn't done that thing. I wish I was better at this. Things that maybe we've carried for years that people have said to us. You're just not very pretty. You're not really one of the successful ones. You're never going to make it. We carry those things, we hold them, and it's so hard to let go. So which is easier for Jesus to say to this man, you're healed, or to say, I understand what you are thinking, what you're feeling, what you're carrying. I understand that anguish in your soul for what you feel are the fatal flaws of your character, all those moments when you are so aware that you've missed the mark, that you've fallen short. And I say, you're free let go. So it's powerful, isn't it? I think what happens next, flick up again on verses 8 to 10 here, because, I mean, just think about it. I know it's not really a circumstance that any of us will find ourselves in, but if, if you are praying for a paralyzed man who's just been dropped down from the ceiling in front of your big preach... And you pray for him and you're kind of hoping that he's been healed. I mean, Jesus is more than kind of hoping, I know, because he's God and he knows. But this guy's been paralyzed for years and he's lying on the floor in front of you. Even if he wasn't paralyzed, if someone was lying on the floor and you said, get up, what would you do? You'd pull them up. Get up. Let me give you a hand. Up you get. And Jesus doesn't do that. What he says is he just says to him, get up. And I think in that moment, there's something amazing there because obviously he has been physically healed. But there's something on this emotional level, this deeper level that Jesus is operating at. What he's saying to the guys, you are no longer helpless. You are no longer trapped by all these things. You are free. Get up. Pick up your mat and and walk. And that word that Mark uses, walk, it's not like give it a little practice, you know, 
See how your legs are working, mate. Let's see if, see if you're done. You know, like you do when you go to a shoe shop. I'll just go for a little walk down here and then I'll walk back. And yes, everything seems to be working fine, Jesus. I'm done. See you later. No, that word walk, it literally means walk away. Go. Leave this place. Live your life. You're free. And he doesn't help him up. He just says to him, you can do it. Go. Because he's released something. Not just the physical constraints that this guy's carry, but he's released something in his mind. And maybe the most amazing miracle of this story isn't the physical healing, although that is amazing, but it is that this guy, without a second pause, just gets up and leaves, walks out of the door, goes off to live his life. So I love in this story that when Jesus sees this guy, he is noticed, but he is also known On a whole other level, Jesus understands in an instant what's going on in this guy's mind. He doesn't just see the obvious, the pain and suffering of long-term illness, which is so awful, but he sees the emotional impact of this. He sees something that this guy is carrying. He sees his inner self, but this guy finds not just true acceptance, but he finds freedom because Jesus releases him. And Jesus makes a point of saying to those there, I want you to know that I have the authority to do this. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to give his own life to free all of us from the tyranny of trying to keep up with those laws. He's going to create a new system where even though we fall short, even though we miss the mark, even though we all have fatal flaws, we can discuss them over coffee. It doesn't matter, we're free. Jesus is going to do something amazing. In that moment, he wants everyone there to know he has the authority to do this. Not just the physical healing, which is amazing, but he can free people in here. And I love that right at the end of the story, just in case we didn't get it, Mark gives us another nudge um, when we see right at the end in verse 12, it says that everyone there was amazed. And they praise God and they say, we have never seen anything like this before. And again, that word seen is a word, a compound word that means see physically with our eyes, but also see with your hearts. We have never comprehended anything like this. We have never seen at this deeper level, anything like this before. And they take this moment to just praise God because it's so clear that this is a supernatural thing that has happened. Not just a physical healing, but they freed his mind. They freed him from his own guilt, his own ponderings in the dark, in the night, in the small hours. There are always the moments when you get to thinking and it's not normally about good stuff, but he's freed this guy from that. So what does this mean for all of us here today? It is a story about physical healing. And when we have an encounter with Jesus, we know that Jesus longs to heal us. We prayed at the beginning of this service for some people who still need physical healing. And it is a mystery to us why not everybody is healed, why we don't always see that happen. But we here commit to continue praying for people until it does. And we celebrate when people are made well. But I think that there's more that God wants to speak to us today. I think he wants you to know that you are noticed by him. He wants you to know that you are known by him, not just the outer self that you put on Instagram, you know, the clever, made-up, looking good version of yourself. He wants you to know that he knows everything. He knows even the rougher moments. He knows the things that you worry about. 
at night in the dark when nobody else is there. He loves you, he accepts you, he knows your fatal flaws, but you can be free from them. He longs for you to be free. He longs to be able to say, release them, be released, go, walk, live, live your life. 